When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> Go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, just tell us about your journey with dogs and you guys can just take turns and we'll go from there. You go first. Hi, I'm Natal Verdone and um, I am Frenchies of Glen Ellen. And um, I've been, uh, I've always had dogs and I've uh, had Boston Terriers, and I uh, trained and showed horses before I was in into dogs. Um, I never showed dogs until um, uh, two years ago. I think it, it's coming up on two years. Um, mm-hmm. But I got my first Frenchie about five years ago, and I realized quickly, um, you know, the popularity of the breed and also the issues that the breed had and um the controversy the the drama all of it and i started diving into all things health related with the breed and uh got connected with heather mcpherson who is on my left is it my left (laughs) uh and i ended up buying uh, a puppy from a breeding of her grand champion, Benny. Uh, he gave me the, the chills. Like I saw a picture of the puppy at four weeks old and my whole body broke out in chills. I was like, <laughs> that dog is going to be something. And we were just talking about how never in our wildest dreams would we have imagined he would have uh, developed into what he is today. He's a grand champion like his daddy. And um, he's the sire of many amazing functional dogs. So we help test our dogs, uh, OFA test, test their hips and their spine and their heart and their trachea, their elbows, their patellas, their, did I miss anything? Um, uh, oh yes, Boaz, to make sure that they can breathe, that they have uh, uh, the best chance at a life, a functional life, and um, because of the, the health issues that can come along with our breed, we're only breeding dogs who are um, uh, high passing normal clear scores, and with that, we're you know I think building a really um, incredible legacy of. Uh, French bulldogs that can breathe and move and they also win ribbons and shows and they're also um, dogs of color with great temperaments uh, so I really um, and companions right and they're their family yeah, yeah. their family so um, always every day I'm humbled by this breed and learn something more and Heather has been um, a mentor and a friend and all of it. And, uh, we're, we are hoping to really, uh, educate people and, um, show that the, you know, that the 
friendships don't need to be these snorting messes and we can still stick to the uh the breed standard the type of the dog and um keep breeding for better for family enjoyment and for myself too i have quite a few here uh with my my own family so that's a little bit about me <laughs> um <clears throat> so i'm heather mcpherson i'm with crowd pleaser frenchies and i you know, when my friends and family ask what I do, I try and summarize it by saying I'm advocating for health testing and bringing meaningful change to this breed. And I'm hoping to help inspire others to give it a shot. Um, I, I got started in this about mm, around seven years ago with the Frenchies. And I'd done other breeds before that. And like Natal, I've done horses. I showed as a as a junior, all the way national level, I've done endurance riding on horses. I've competed in three-day eventing. Like dogs are, dogs were always um, in my life, and I can't imagine them not being that way. Um, but when I started with the Frenchies, and I'd had <clears throat> boxers, I've had cattle dogs, I've had Labradors, I've had pugs. Um, when I got with the Frenchies, I had a hard time finding anybody that was health testing them. And, and even if you could find somebody that would health test, if you could even get them to talk to you, it was almost impossible. So um, what I found was a lack of transparency. And then I realized that even the people that were supposedly, you know, like elite breeders and the preservationist breeders and all that, that they were not health testing their dogs. And if they were, they were probably failing their, their OFA scores. Um, and I just, it, it blew my mind, you know, like I went onto the OFA database and I started researching. And at the time, I think there were only 1700 hips on, on record in 22 at the time, 22 years ago. And that's for all time. So now there's 101,000 AKC registered French Bulldogs every year. And I think the number for health testing in OFA for their hips is somewhere around like 3,500 dogs ever. So that should tell you something. It's not just the color breeders that aren't doing the health testing. It's also those preservationist breeders that are in the, in the show ring, you know, all the way up through Westminster. So um, when we started doing the, the health test, the very first, pair of hips I did, we came back with OFA excellent. And I thought, oh, cool. Yay. You know, like straight A's. Right. And I didn't realize it was a big thing. And I found out kind of in a hot hurry that from the groups of people that were OFA testing in the Frenchies, which was really small, there were very few, uh, they were almost offended when I showed up with my dog that was, um, he was a lilac pied and he had these excellent hips and then I was taking him to dog shows and he was, you know, he ended up being a grand champion. And I think it felt threatening to some people at first. And, you know, one of the stances I've always taken is, you know, we're here to support each other. There's, there's enough sunshine for everyone. Right. And if you want to focus on health above all else, I'd love to help. Right. So I, I like to help guide people through some of their, um, analysis of their test scores and um, help talk them through some of the 
the results that they might find that could be a little scary, a little bit off-putting. And hopefully we can get more people on board because if you can start networking and get yourself with others that care about the health of the French Bulldog, I think that we can make a huge dent in the breed and move past some of these really disturbing health issues that I see in some of my friend's dogs. So anyway, that's why I do it. I love the dogs. They all sleep on my bed. All of them. <laughs> my husband's being really quiet over there. <laughs> it's King. There's my husband. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's funny. So what keeps you guys going with French Bulldogs that, you know, they're, they're, they're not an easy breed Oof. to own and definitely right. not an easy breed to, mm. to breed. And, you know, I've owned English Bulldogs a lot in my life. So well, that's I, hard. I, really hard. I, bulldogs. Yeah. Well, I've never bred them or anything, but yeah. owning, they're def definitely, you know, they come with their own set of issues similar to Frenchies, but probably maybe even a little worse. But um, just talk about just the challenges of that, but what keeps you coming back to the breed and what makes you want to make it better and, and uh, you know, fight through the challenges and all of, all of those things and the heartache that come along with it. I like that question. Um, well, I can speak to today what I woke up, I'm exhausted. I have a litter of five, four week old puppies and a 10 year old son. And I I'm booking work for the summer because of my hair oh. business. So I don't do this full time, but it's full time. Um, I woke up just totally drained and I took some time for myself after cleaning kennels or crates. They're not kennels crates and cleaning the baby pen. And um, I kind of sat back and answered some messages. And one of the mm -hmm. messages I got, and this happens on a daily, Sean, and I know Heather can speak to this, is people reaching out to me. It's the, the families out there reaching out to me with their stories or breeders um, mm -hmm. of how we're making a difference and how our um, narrative really resonates with with families who have had compromised French bulldogs. They mm -hmm. poured their heart and souls into these babies, and then they get, you know, some terrible uh, affliction that could have been quite possibly prevented with health screening your breeding dogs. Yes. Um, Today, I spoke to a woman in uh, FaceTime her in uh, Colorado, and we both ended up crying at the end of the conversation. She was so lovely, you guys. She had a dog um, that was her heart and soul. She was looking for another one. She said she's been looking for seven months for a breeder that she felt a heart connection with and that she could trust to bring a baby into her family. And there days like that when I get to talk to people and feel like I'm making a difference in people's lives and uh, people's mental health, their happiness because of 
all the hard work I do here. And I could go on and on about how challenging it is to raise and to do this properly. This is no joke what we do. Um, I do it for my family. I do it for my community. I, I do it for Heather. <laughs> you, I've said that. Yeah. I go up to these shows sometimes. I'm like, I don't want to go. Oh my gosh. And I do it because of, she's the breeder of, of my foundation. And I feel mm -hmm. like I owe it to my community to keep going and to, to show up every day, to write about my experiences, to be on social media, to just keep plugging away. And maybe I'll make a difference with a handful of families a year. And that it's the most incredible feeling. All the little stories I get mm -hmm. and the pictures and they're like, this dog can actually breathe, Natal. Mm -hmm. like, and move. Can, yeah, they can hike. We hiked six miles this morning, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, that really does it for me. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, your dog should live longer than a car payment. <laughs> Just saying. And it really bothers me when people are breeding dogs that they know have health issues and they're just doing right. it for the money and yeah. banging them out. Um, you know, I, every, every dog that I breed is for me. And then I share any that are, you know, if I have enough, you know, I'll, I'll sell them usually as pet every once in a while, I'll let one go to the right person. Um, but I think what, what, what makes it for me, you know, these dogs are also excellent for therapy for people, for PTSD. And um, I take several of my studs and I'll take them to various facilities and let them go. And um, it started out actually when I was going through some stuff and I brought one of my dogs with me. And then the people outside were like, hey, can I borrow them too? And it, it kind of turned into something. And so, you know, I've continued to let my dogs go in. I'll, I'll wait in the parking lot and then they bring them out. And And I know it makes a big difference for people. And we've placed a lot of, um, gosh, I want to say four or five, no more than that actually, with various people that were going through things like back surgeries or um, had serious diabetes where the dogs help out with, um, detecting, you know, the diabetes, um, I guess they can smell it. And they, they've actually, I think two of the dogs have actually woken people up when they were in a, a diabetic coma. One of them was my dad, uh, before he passed. Um, so I, I don't know. I think for me, the French bulldog and their personality, it's such a unique breed and, and I don't care if you look at the dogs from 1897 to the ones now. And I mean, they, they've changed a lot. They've changed way before the five years of this new cycle of outcrossing that's happening. Um, but I think what has always drawn people to this breed is the personality. And so it's really important that no matter what, no matter what changes it goes through with hybrids and this and that and mixing and, you know, if you can't keep that core personality of this breed, I think it's just not a Frenchie anymore, right? And I don't care if it has long legs or short legs, long back, short yeah. back, snout, whatever, ears. It, if it acts like a Frenchie, that's the, 
I mean, that's why everybody loves the breed, right? That's why I love it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, it's nothing like bull breeds. It's why they're my favorite, and that's why I, I own three. Um, <laughs> and probably more to come. Um, so I posed uh, a question to um, my subscribers on YouTube and Facebook um, a couple months back. And uh, it was a question of color versus standard um, and what they thought the difference was. And there were some interesting answers. Everybody, especially since a lot of my uh, core audience has become working dog folks for whatever reason, I think a lot of that stems from my initial purpose was to research rare breeds and breeds that weren't really covered a lot in the United States. Like I interviewed a gentleman from Pakistan um, that had uh, breeds from that region of India and Pakistan. And um, so a lot of people were interested in that sort of thing and they just happened to be working dog folks. But a lot of their answers was that the color dogs could never match up to the standard dogs as far as um, structure and all of that. Um, and my thing was, <laughs> I, I that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> and I, my response was that I think people are not really seeing the bigger picture where you're just seeing the bad results and that's in every breed and, and so forth. But the, the overwhelming consensus was that the standard dogs were better structurally and um, that color dogs could never um, amount to what standard dogs are as far as uh, the French bulldog standard is, is concerned. They said that um, things like murals and stuff were just results of outcrossing and all this sort of stuff. But anyway, so, uh, is that a myth? Am I on the right page here that I think that color dogs are are and can be just as good and uh, fit the standard just as well as, as the so-called standard AKC dogs or FCI? Heather, do you want to start with the, the answer? Yeah, why not, right? So col color is just a gene, right? And what makes structure and health are other genes. So, um, I mean, oh, so crazy. So about three or four years ago, I was talking with um, a gal that's a friend of mine that used to actually, she started the French Bulldog Club of America specialty that they hold, their national specialty. She ran it for five years. She actually had a gray brindle um, named Levi and Boston Dane, let's see, Boston Dane Blue Jeans. And she was basically forced by the Sosas, apparently. Uh, they turned her in for having a non-breed standard dog and told her that if she didn't neuter or euthanize, that she was going to be kicked out of the FBDCA. So this dog was sired by a dog named, um, they called him Trophy, but his name was Le Bulls Once in a Blue Moon. And he was owned by Arlie Alford. Um, an FBDCA lifetime member. And he was, his sire was imported from England 
from some of the Tommyville lines. So these are all standard lines. The colors have been there the whole time. And these dogs, so let's put it this way. There's no bad color on a good dog, but there's plenty of good colors on shit dogs. Okay. So that's the difference. Um, you can get great structure and still have the original French bulldog colors, which are gray, brown, tan pointed, um, I guess, you know, lilac, right? It's always been there, silver. Um, Merle is definitely an outcross. And I can tell you, I've gone through hundreds of thousands of pedigrees all the way from like 1849. And I go into the French archives. I dig deep, right? So the standard or the, the original colors were iron gray on the French bulldogs that were imported from France. So if you think about that and what we know about color, these are um, their recessive genes. So for a dog to be a gray brindle in a, as a French bulldog, it means that it's dilute one copy from dad, one copy from mom. That's the only way it works to, to actually express. So that means that your gene pool at the very beginning of this breed, if you've got all these colors at the very beginning, the gene pool saturated. And so... Um, I say this because I've gone through the old AKC stud books. I, I'm like, well, let's let's see if I can find some. And sure enough, they were everywhere. And I found about 8,000 of them between 1897 to 1920-ish. And I, everything, the black and tans, the browns, the red brindles, mahogany brindle, seal brindle, um, mahogany seal, you know, just all these variations, the colors were there. And so, um, and I, and I just say that because you have to think of it in terms of naturally occurring colors. So when you, when you see the, by the way, liver, the bee locust liver is not original. It's not the same as French bulldog chocolate, which is cocoa. Um, liver, merle, um, what they're calling testable, roja, all that. Those are outcrosses that have been brought in um, I want to say the testable chocolate was probably introduced somewhere around 2016, 17, 18. The Merles were introduced somewhere around 2012. And that was from a guy in Puerto Rico and he brought them in through a Lapajas. Um, so when you were talking about rare bully breeds, uh, they brought it in through Catahoula. And then they also brought it in through Oregon with Chihuahuas. And so the Chihuahua version has the more triangle face and the versions that came in through the Alapajas are the much bigger, like 40 pounders. So when, when we're talking about the original colors, I'm talking about dilute, which is blue and French bulldog chocolate and tan points. So when you, when you want to talk about, is it possible to have the colors on a, a great dog? Absolutely. And you don't have to go and outcross to bring that back in. It's been there the whole time. Um, especially if you, if you know anything about like cream in a French bulldog, which is recessive red, the lowercase e, it, epistasis will make um, that coat color of cream cover every other color and every other pattern except for pied. So it'll even cover merle. Um, so you could have had a tan pointed or a gray or a chocolate brindle that was covered in cream. And when they were being popularized in 1947 ish, all the way up through the eighties, 
a lot of these colors were hidden and people didn't know about it. And that's why you saw there was a standard change in 1947 to allow for lighter colored noses and eyes on lighter colored dogs. If you have a standard um, cream, it shouldn't need to have lighter nose leather. So that's kind of a dead giveaway that you have a fad colored dog underneath your cream. And um, once the creams were being outcrossed with the dogs coming from Russia um, and some of them from Canada, like Belboulacan du Champagne Mondo, um, you're not getting the cream gene because FCI doesn't allow for cream at all, right? It's a, it's a fad color there. Um, so now you're bringing back all the colors again and they're exposed. And that's when we started seeing these gray brindles showing up in the 90s. And, you know, they thought, oh, well, they've been outcrossed. Well, they've just been uncovered. So when, when I see a lot of the dogs that are on some of the social media pages, like I can't, I, it's hard for me um, because I don't want to say anything mean necessarily. So I just say nothing and I just, I just close it and we move on. Right. I don't like a lot of the, the dogs that are being bred by what I call greeters. And um, if you, if you try and compare that whole path to dogs that are being bred, like what Natal and I do, which is, and, you know, there's a lot of us, it's not just us, you know, there's a lot of people like us. Um, these dogs are shown in a registry where our breed standards identical to AKC, except for two things. The colors are allowed and the weight is allowed to go up to 30 pounds instead of 28. But I compete against strictly standard dogs all the time. So do you. And I actually compete and show with a fully standard dog as well. I love my standard dogs. Um, and I, ju I just know what's in the pedigrees of all these show dogs and the preservation dogs. And so, and a lot of them are carrying color and they won't tell you that they're carrying color, you know, because it's forbidden. It's a taboo. They are witch hunted. They're, they're hounded at the, at the shows, color shamed the whole thing, but you can absolutely have a high quality blue or chocolate or tan pointed French bulldog that fits the standard just as well as any other. I mean, and some of these standard dogs, I'm sorry, but when you see them on a podium and you're like, hello, who skipped leg day, you know, yeah, just because they win and just because they have ribbons, it just means either the handler carried the dog through to a win or they just didn't have anybody else that was better, you know? So I don't, I don't get impressed by standard dogs with ribbons. I just don't. Um, that said, a lot of those dogs that I, I know, and I have a lot of friends in FBDCA in secret. We can't talk about it because they get in trouble, but um, they have really nice dogs. You know, a good dog is a good dog. You should just be able to look past the color and see the dog. Here's a blue dog. <laughs> and he's not even, he doesn't even carry tan. That's what's so funny. No, no. Here's a blue dog who's beat how many standards in the, in the show ring? Lots. Many, many. I have two. Um, I like to say when people ask me that question too, is I say that breeding for color 
is a relatively new thing because of DNA testing. So the term greeter, I equate it to the breeders who are breeding only for color and not for structure and certainly not for health or health scores. And so when the DNA tests were readily available to any breeder and they could breed strictly for a color, that's when um, color dogs, to me, in my opinion, right, they really took a turn. Uh, the quality wasn't there. In our programs, we uh, color is an added bonus. So, and I never, I don't, I can use the word never. I don't put a breeding together just for color. But when I get something cool, I'm like, oh, great. But like my my litter right now, I mean, they're all standard brindle and one fawn and they are spectacular. And I am couldn't be happier with the color, but I'm not looking at the color. I'm looking at the potential of the dog. And um, I think that's where we differentiate in our programs with a lot of other color breeders is because um, I, I, I base my, um, the quality on my dogs, the price of my dogs on uh, the structure, the temperament, the health, the bone, the movement, the breathing, all of it. And I, I don't. And the health testing behind both parents, right? Health testing, the titles, all, all of it that goes into it. Mm. I don't price my dogs according to color. And that's what mm. sets us, I think, apart. And I get a little testy when people ask me, well, what color, what color are they carrying? And I'm like, do you see the dog? Like, are, what are you truly, what are you truly breeding for? It, you know, when I speak to breeders, what is it that it moves you? What's important to you? Is it you're doing a lilac litter or do you want beautiful head pieces and great fronts and lovely angulation in the back. Like I get, I get, her, but I know, you know, certain programs are moved by certain colors and, um, and I, I, I try not to judge, but for me in my program, um, color is an afterthought. It's mm -hmm. icing on the cake, you know? Well, and I'll just say this. I, you give me a, Brad Pitt, or who was the guy from Fast and Furious? Paul Walker. Oh, yeah. Robert Redford. Those are all your types. I like them. Blonde hair, blue eyed. Thor. I want Thor, you know? That's a good point. Okay. Yeah. You can't see him. My husband's tall, dark, oh, hazel yeah. eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yay, me, right? Yeah. So, well. <laughs> You know, I mean, I love, I love lilac fawns. Okay. But I think if you were to ask me, honestly, who's my favorites, where's baby Satan? You know, my, my standard fawn with the black mask, but it's not because of the color of the dog. It's like what right. I appreciate about him. Right. Right. So, you know, it, I think it's, I think it's, um, I think it's important not to shame people for what they like. And in this breed, I will tell you right now, gray brindles and blues, they were always 
sought after desired bread. And they, I just found an article actually in Bitten Spur magazine and it was William Lennox was being interviewed and he wanted to buy a gray brindle puppy at the FBDCA specialty in 1913. And the, this article goes all over it. And he was talking about Savolatile, who was a blue brindle. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he says, oh, there's the breed type, right? So here are the people the, that set up this breed. They're the founders of the club. And they liked these dogs. If it was brindle, it didn't matter. You could have gray brindle. You could have brown brindle. As long as it was brindle. And they didn't know that the, the, the brindle gene is what makes the difference between a mouse and a gray brindle. You know, it's, it's, it's identical except for the KBR, right? So um, when, when the breed standard was changed to make mouse a DQ color, they did not DQ gray brindles. And I just want to point that out because it's, it's a homozygous dilute dog. One's okay and one's not. And so, that, like I said, the gene pool was was thriving with these genes. There's nothing wrong with them. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just funny. <laughs> it's funny. People get really, really upset when you yeah. show them history and facts. They don't like it. They'd rather and, not know. I've, I've watched no. when you roll out that information. <laughs> people oh, I'm the devil. <laughs> people... People just, they're so predictable these days. It used to be more of an explosion. And now they're like, nope, not going to hear it. Yeah. You're a greeter. <laughs> if, I, if I'm a greeter, I'm really bad at the greeting part. Yes, you are. When's the last mm-hmm. time you had a litter, Heather, at mm-hmm. your house? Last year. Last, last year. year. Yeah, I just needed a You're break. You're really turning them out there. <laughs> I like the boys. You you have some beautiful boys, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, and since we're kind of on the subject, can you talk about how that came about and what it was about? And and Ooh, uh, you want all the, the fireworks, right? And then the <laughs> aftermath from that. Uh, actually, I think the Vanity Fair magazine has kind of spanked some people that needed spankings. Quite frankly. Um, I reached out to Mary Plyon, the author, uh, of that. And she's a journalist with the New York times and she's written a lot of, I I found her because she had written some controversial articles about AKC and, um, a really good friend of mine, Charlotte Brantlin earth, uh, had been showing ABKC with us and she decided to take one of her standard um, Serbian imports, um, a really pretty blanket pied brindle female and show her AKC. And Charlotte had been going through, I'm not going to go into it, but she, you know, it's not a secret, but she'd been going through some health issues and her doctors had recommended that, you know, positive experience and the dogs and everything would really help her. And it did. And so she was doing really, really well. And here's what happens. Maybe other people that show might relate with this, but everything's great until you start winning. And then when you start winning, the fangs come out. And that's when, and I told Charlotte, I said, hey, because I knew that she had blue dogs. And I said, listen, you need to hide your stuff. They're going to come after you. They're going to hunt you down. She's like, oh, 
no, no, I've met these women. It's fine. Blah, blah, blah. She was having a great time until she wasn't. And she was at Wolfstock and was confronted by three women. And one of them, yeah, you remember, huh? Uh, one of them was the president of the Northern California French Bulldog Club. And she had two people. I can't remember the names of the other two women, but this other woman was named Susan. And they hovered over her, blocked out the sun, and hissed at her and told her that she didn't belong there, that she needs to get the F out, and that how dare she show her face there. She's not one of them, and it, this will never go away. They're never going to stop. They're going to hunt her down. They're going to terrorize her. They're going to tell everyone all about why she's a terrible person. And they accused her of breeding her female to a Merle, which was not true at all. Um, and they did this right before she was supposed to go in the ring with her dog and the judge could hear the whole thing. And, and um, they actually called up her breeder or not called him, um, but they sent a Facebook message to her breeder in Serbia and they accused him of breeding exotics. And the thing is, is he's in a, in a country where it's not like America, right? If you break the rules in, in some of these registries, they have the right to come into your kennel and euthanize everybody and maybe take you to jail. So it's serious stuff, right? And, and this is all just these women getting upset because Charlotte started winning. And um, she called me up in tears. And, and meanwhile, my own dog was being shown there with another handler, um, in secret because I'm on the blacklist. I'm on the, I'm on the blue list is what I am. Um, so to, sh to show this dog, I have to, uh, hide the fact that I'm the owner. We have to remove all my information from the pedigree, from the names, from the registration, everything. So that it doesn't show up in the catalog. And so I was secretly showing my dog there and he was doing great. Came in right behind Winston the week before Westminster. And I think he was second for breed and he was only a puppy, you know, he's kicking butt. Um, anyway, she calls me up in tears and she's just devastated. So called up a couple of my friends with AKC and FBDCA and we got some advice and she was able to report what happened to a ring steward. And he took her off to the side and said, basically, it's going to be a he said, she said, and these things never go anywhere. Um, asked her if she wanted to report and she said no. But in the meantime, these women were surrounding her and kind of spying on her with cameras like over a hill like this pointing so that they could see what was going on. And, and then when Charlotte stood up after, you know, reporting to the ring store, and they're like, oh, you know, like cockroaches scurrying. So they didn't know if she'd actually reported or not. And she actually made the decision not to do that. And she wanted to persevere and just keep showing and not let these women shame her out of doing something that she loved. And she ended up championing the dog, grand championing it. She's really good friends with some people in pretty great places. Um, and after it was all said and done, one, a very, very influential, highly respected breeder called up all of these women individually and said, Charlotte's off limits. And if I find out that you continue to do this, you will never ever have access to any of my dogs ever again. And so it stopped. Right. And so it's worked out really well for her. 
Um, she's now showing and campaigning other dogs and doing really well. But for a long time, she was afraid to ever let this story come out. And I told Mary Plyon, Plyon about it. And, and uh, then I started, she was like, what color shaming? What is this? You know, what is this whole weirdness? And I'd show her examples of it. And I mean, it happens to all of us on the daily, right? You, um, and if you ask anybody and you say, yeah, this, this happens at the shows, this is like hazing. It's, they, they terrorize you. They defame you. They, they call you all kinds of names. They accuse you of stuff. They call the AKC for kennel inspections. Um, I mean, it's, it's really Very aggressive. Good. It's really, really aggressive what they do. And Charlotte, nobody really, Charlotte yeah. was white. I mean, she was sitting down and after oh, so you were there, huh? I was there and, and she had um, been accosted by these women. She was sitting down by herself and we all kind of surrounded her and like helped her up. Like it was, I was worried about her health. Like it was really serious, like very, very aggressive behavior. Yeah. But she went out there and she kicked butt. She, I was, I would, at that point, I don't know if I would have been able to do what she did. She has so it much was strength. intense. I couldn't believe it. And I was there with Max. I was there with my, my then eight-year-old son and yeah. I could, and, and <laughs> And right? he you did this in front of the kids what? too. That's just crazy. He, yeah, he. I don't care. Nope, doesn't matter. In front of children, somebody who has health issues, it's like oh, it's behaving uh, badly. Very, very naughty. Very naughty. Yeah, and you know the the thing is, is so Charla used to be on the executive committee for Make a Wish. I mean, she's a great person, a great human being, super ethical class act all the way right and these women oh man it's like like little poorly dressed akc terrorist i swear you know it's uh, it's maddening anyway so she's she's kicked ass yeah and, and it's great but so mary um started interviewing a lot of people and it took her about a year and a half i think to finally come up with the story and then vanity fair agreed to run that article and i I was blown away. I, so I didn't know what it was going to look like, what they were going to say. I just helped her out with what I know about the historical side, um, especially the the reason that the breed standard change and the people that are involved. And I mean, that's a whole nother story it involves the Titanic, it involves the D bag that was on the Titanic that jumped on with the women and children and pushed everybody out of the way and put his luggage on there. The only surviving luggage of the Titanic just not a good person anyway so there's like all these juicy little stories right and um so i was helping out with that aspect so when we when i saw the article and when it came out i was blown away i mean it's eight pages it's a full feature and it made a mention on the cover with with the lady that made the barbie movie right like it's it was it was like I still think about it and I, yeah. I tell everybody I know and it's, it was one of those moments where it was like, okay, that's, that's a win for our breed. And well, and just, yeah. Cause it doesn't matter if you love the breed, it's a win, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's just was talking about everything. It wasn't it was just like, oh, you're in the color camp or you're in the preservation right. camp. Oh, she, you're in the greeter camp, you know, like. Yeah. Is she, can we talk about 
what's next no. after the art. Okay. I wanted to ask. <laughs> um, it's, I, there's a lot of research being performed. Let's just say that. Yeah. Mary, Mary Pylon is just, she was the woman for the job. She, mm -hmm. she did a great, if, if your, um, your subscribers haven't, uh, taken a look at the article, it's called the Frenchie revolution on in Vanity Fair in December issue. I tell everybody probably daily, Hey, you should read this article. I am so proud. Yeah. I'm so proud of and she she did her due diligence, right? She interviewed oh. a lot of people months from of all course. different aspects, which I I felt very strongly like I gave her a lot of contacts of people that I knew that don't always see eye to eye with me, but I feel like you right. have to have a fair and balanced yes. representation or else it's all crap, right? Yes. Um, she did that. She touched, she went all, I mean, she talked to PETA, you know, yeah, she did. She, and it was such, I, I liked what PETA had to say. I was, they said, they go, why are we talking about color when the rest of the breed is messed up? Let's talk about health, right? Let's talk about health and let's talk about why dogs end up in shelters Frenchies in, in particular is because breeders aren't doing their due diligence in health. Well, there's so many of them, right? So many of them, not all. Um, and breeders like us who will, if anything happens in the duration of uh, this dog that we produce their life, um, anything happens to it, we'll take it back to our home. We will help find it um, a proper home, if not keep it here ourselves you know, our dogs will never end up in shelters. And, um, well, you I mean, see my feed too. I mean, yeah, you know we what I, both, both, you know, Heather I me with uh SoCal French bulldog rescue and yeah. the hard work they're doing there. And, uh, a portion of any profit I make, which is not a lot considering what I put back into my program, but, um, I'll be, uh, paying it forward to right. the French bull, um, Southern California French bulldog rescue. So I, I feel like it, there's a need to illustrate that because we are labeled as greeters because we have color dogs, you know, there's that blanket term that we are part of the problem. Well, and it's just, it's just lazy, right? It's so easy yeah, to just call somebody a label without mm -hmm. even actually investigating them. And here's the other thing I'm going to say. It is lazy. This is what I actually, this is sport for me because I'm ready and they're not, but um, I love it. So I'll get tagged on social media and they'll say, hey, there, come in with your research. And again, you know, I've got the facts. I'm all armed with like, okay, here's your AKC registrations. Here's this. Here's this. Did you know about this? Do you know why the standard changed? Do you know who this person was? You know, and they'll just say things like, oh, well, they knew what they were doing. They obviously, oh, and it's undesirable. I'm like, what, what are you talking about undesirable? If yeah. it was undesirable, no yeah. one would want one of these. Right? I know. So um, we, we come in there and, you know, I usually just say a couple of things very politely and I'll put up the links and then they go, they lose their minds they and do. then they start attacking me. They go, then, they go absolutely apeshit when Heather posts anything. Yeah. Heather's like kryptonite, but go on. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, you know, they're very, usually, very soft about it. You never attack Heather. You're so measured, but I want to interrupt. I want to, because I'm laying a trap. Yes. That's the no, fun. Um, 
I mean, I am, but I'm not. But no. so it's an easy trap. I mean, they could totally walk around it, but they choose to just. So the loudest argument is often the weakest. And yeah. what I've found is that the people that tend to finger point and attack the worst usually have the most skeletons in the closet and they have not been x-rayed. Yep. <laughs> okay. uh, so there is zero health testing behind these dogs. And they'll say things like, oh, you can take your Kmart ribbons, blah, blah, blah. And so then I pull out my AKC, you know, winner's dogs and best of opposite sex. I'll go, oh, you mean the Kmart ribbons where we were both in the same Walmart parking lot? Okay. You know, and that 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 kind of throws them off a little. And then, you know, they'll say, well, no color breeder has ever contributed anything to the breed. And then I'll post like 50 collages of the various dogs that we have that have OFA excellent hips or the best pen hip score in the entire OFA database of all time. So my excellent hips sired that great pen hip score. And I think something like 42 French bulldog offspring with good or better hips. The highest so health scores in the history of the breed. Well, so far, right? Because so nobody's testing. Yeah. I mean, on but, but none of these people have it. And, and I know that they don't have it because so in a past life, I used to do a lot of um, big data. I love data mining. I like analyzing huge amounts of databases and, and, and coming up with trends. And so I go into the OFA database sometimes just for giggles and look at like 60,000 records and then I write down which ones belong to non-breed standard breeders and which one belong to preservationists. And then I do a blind thing where I won't look and see what the scores are as I'm identifying the dogs. And then I reveal it and I, I let it talk to me. And, and um, the truth is I know who's been naughty and who's been nice. And I, I know which dogs are being health tested and which aren't. So when I see these names come at me, I already know they're not in there because I check it like once right. a month. And um, it's very interesting because they'll, they'll start off with this whole mantra of, Oh, you, you color breeders or greeters and none of you health test and blah, blah, blah. And then I look and I look for their dog. Absolutely no record of it. All they have on their social media are pictures you know, they're like ego shots with yeah. dog on the podium with the yeah. ribbons and, oh, and so-and-so and the breeder and we're this and we're going to this dinner and we're having that. And then you do a search on their social media for just type in the word OFA and there's nothing there. There's no health testing behind these dogs. So then when you start pointing that out and then, and then you show them, okay, well, here are 50 you take your pick and you want more. I mean, we could do this all night, but now I'm tired. So um, then it turns into, then it turns into, oh, well, the health doesn't matter. You know, it's like, <laughs> it mattered until, until, yeah. So anyway, that's kind of fun. So what, like I say, you know, it's, it's not to shame people for right. not, not health testing. It's, the point is, and not everybody behaves this way, right? The, like I said, the loudest arguments are coming from the weakest arguments, right? Yeah. And they're the people that tend to be bullies anyway. There are a lot of excellent breeders that have yeah. strictly standard and a lot that have 
colors and some that have both. So it's not about that. It's about it's about inspiring people to actually do their due diligence and health test and screen their breeding stock. And yeah. you might be surprised. You might get way better scores than you thought you ever would. I mean, yeah. Um, and and again, like the whole the whole um, if you follow Dr. Jared Bell from OFA, who's you know the guru, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they recommend like even if you get a dog that doesn't have perfect hips, like maybe mild dysplasia on a female, they don't recommend necessarily a spay or neuter. They right. just say, make sure that you breed it to good or better hips. Right. And the the statistics are showing it's linear. And when you continue to breed good to good and, and, right. and such, you can actually um, reduce the amount and frequency of the dysplasia. So the whole yeah. point is, if you don't test, you won't be able to know who's got good hips or not. Right. And, um, you know, it's, it's a breeder tool, right? right? So if you, if you don't test, you won't be able to use the tools that you could. Uh, that's kind of circling back to Sean's question about what, what keeps me going, what keeps us going. Yeah with this breed is um, working with other breeders, newer breeders who mm-hmm. have questions and being able to like be that, um, that, that one person that reaches out and helps and they, they are and like no shaming. It's like, Hey, what can we do together? Um, not a mentorship, but kind of like what Heather's talking about is like, uh, you know, helping other people. Sort of group of, of people that have like minds and want to do better by the breed. I, like, I really, really want to do better. Not they, just and they're out there. Better. They just need like a little bit of information. I shoot over um, Heather's blog often, maybe once a day, Heather, I'm shooting that over to somebody who queries me. How can I do what you're doing? And how do I get started? And oh, I'm just hearing about this and I have a dog and I want to breed it to your dog. And I'm like, cool. Like, I'm so happy that you reached out. What could like let me get you some literature? And I'm I'm so stoked. Mm-hmm. You know, let's chat. And it's like opening up this whole um path for another breeder to do what we're doing. It's doesn't, it's not. Crazy. It's not rocket science. Yeah, it's, it's it's a formula. Most breeds do it with uh, all yeah. breeds, except yeah. for the ones that are you know the breed that except for the ones that are have a parent club with FBDCA. Yeah. In uh, Heather yeah. knows I'm I'm going to the an AKC show in April with my three or wait two lilac dogs and two blue dogs. And uh, oh, to test. Okay. To test. So, what are you crazy, girl? Oh, God, no, not that crazy. Uh, To go and get the OFA testing. And it's a a quarter of the price that you would pay at a vet office. Yeah. So, it's not the money, it's the fear, I think, of like Heather saying, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to open up this can of worms and my dog is this huge investment that I made. Oh, when you have to walk through the showgrounds with your non-breed standard colored dog, I mean, it's horrible. I'm so, I can't People think I'm making it up, but then I've had some that have done the same thing and they were absolutely attacked in line 
I'm wearing Google glasses, so yeah. I don't know if I'm going to say that on the live feed, but um, no, you you should because actually, if 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 a competitor from AKC is harassing somebody at an event. And it doesn't matter if the health testing is there, you're on the premises of that event, right? Yep. They can be turned into the ring steward and sanctioned. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's rules there. It, it, it goes against the AKC sportsmanship code. And, and I don't think that people really take it as seriously as they should, but um, you know, if you're there to health test your dog, you should not be harassed. Period. I would just have a witness with you. Yes, ma'am. Max, does Max count? They'll do it in front of your kids. I'm I not know. kidding. It just happened to um, Rebecca Wickman. And the woman, she was the president of the FBDCA in, I think it's Georgia. It's either Georgia or Alabama. It's one of the two. I think it's Georgia. And the, and the lady was her neighbor and went to her daughter's baby shower and That's yet still did that. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, I mean, Heather, going to these AKC mobile. And then she denied it. I've, of course she did. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a, a, four, a quarter of the cost than going to my vet to get full prelims. You know, they should be open. They are open to anybody who wants to do right by their breeding program and help test their dogs. And if I go, did you know in the, in the kennel club? Cause you know, I, so I do a lot of work with um, the kennel club in London mm -hmm. and I have some friends there that have been um, really instrumental in, in trying to bring health testing to, to the French bulldogs. And one of them, she was the former president of EPDC England. I always say it wrong, but, Anyway, uh, Penny Rankin Parsons, and she oh, was yeah. a judge at Crufts. Oh, yeah. yeah. Penny, yeah. She's awesome. And she brought us in, and we, we were um, contributing for the Kennel Club for their color panel committee because they were being um, potentially sued by four different breeds for registering non-breed standard colors. And so we brought our research with the history of the colors existing in the French Bulldog. So they were really... I think they didn't say it, but you could just see the relief and the intrigue on that panel's faces when they saw the, the research that we had on the colors. Um, because I think they were like, great, we can prove they've always been there. We, we're not going to get sued, right? But in the Kennel Club, they have their gold level testing. They have bronze, silver. I think yeah. they have something platinum or diamond or I don't know, diamonds in the sky. So you can test your dog and pay all the money to do it. But if your dog is non-breed standard, they will not give you a certificate. So like with OFA, you can still get your certificates for non-breed standard colors, right? but not with kennel club. And so that's something that Penny Rankin and her Penny Rankin Parsons and her team that. is really trying to change. Oh, yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. I know. Right. Ugh kind of like being turned away for a C-section on your dog because the vet finds out that it's a non-breed standard color. That's that happened. That did happen. And the veterinarian in Washington, I can't remember. It's, it's an Indian name and this is a non-Native American person with this Native American business name that's 
the the name means welcome. Uh, and he was the True Panion Veterinarian of the Year, uh, AKC Junior Handler, National Champion winner back in the day. He's still associated with AKC as a judge. And his uh, veterinary clinic turned away my co-own who needed, she just moved and she needed to get a new veterinarian for the C-section was trying to plan it. Everything was great. And then, and she's got it all scheduled. Oh, well, we only, we only do C-sections on dogs that have been OFA tested for your breed standard. She's like, oh, great. We've got all that. Right. And so they, they type her all in and then she's, oh yeah, T2 semen analysis because I'd like to have my, my stud dog frozen. And so, oh yeah, sure. We do that. And they type it all in and they said, what's his color? And she says, lilac pied. And the lady's like, lilac, what do you mean lilac? Is your dog a dilute? Well, yeah, he's dilute and chocolate at the same time. <laughs> we do not do non-breed standard colors. And they told her that they canceled the whole C-section, everything. And she says, but wait, you know, I need, I need to get this done. Like, where do I go? And she goes, well, our Hippocratic Oath forces us to provide services, but we won't schedule for you and we will only do an emergency and you will have to pay the extra cost. And she says, well, what's the cost? And it was triple the amount. That happened. Mary wrote about that in that Vanity Fair article too. And actually I've had people come to us and say, that would never happen. This didn't happen. I have it, it in writing in the email it from the place. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. And, and the co-owner that I have, she's actually Native American, federal agent, she's works awesome. for the National Forestry Department. She's a total badass. She's so kind too. She's the kindest person. I can't imagine the panic yeah. to all of a sudden not have good care of your baby. Welcome. The color of the dog. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to say the name of the veterinary clinic, but you can find it out. Just type in Native American word for welcome and it's in Washington. Yeah. I'm not surprised uh, you coastal elites are uh, pretty closed-minded, even though you pretend to be open-minded. Um, I'm from the Northwest, so I can uh, say that. I'm okay. joking. Okay. I'm from Portland. <laughs> uh, I'm a Midwest transplant, and and I and I moved there, move out of there for a reason. It's that t typical attitude that you say welcome, but you actually don't mean welcome at all. You mean f off I mean, if you don't believe in nice. what I do. Yeah. yeah, I'll take your well, money. You know what? When somebody has to tell you that they're woke, to me, I'm like, oh, so right. you're sleepwalking, right? It's like somebody telling you, I'm an alpha. Alphas don't tell you they're alphas, they're just alphas, right? Uh, woke. Yeah. Did you just say uh, woke, uh, Heather? Yeah, I did. <laughs> say woke. It's mm. Like, it's. It's just. Dumb. I <laughs> Just I'm going to get a lot of hate for that, I'm sure. It's okay. Maybe I should go back to bed. Not from people who watch me. They're not really into that sort of thing. Um, you guys, you know, you, you talked, talked, touched upon health testing and, and the importance of it and, and, and how it's not a standard within the breed and why it should be. Uh, can, can you guys kind of talk about um, why you started health testing 
for your for you for yourself and what was the deciding factor of you believing in in the results and talk about some of the difficult decisions that you've made that as a result of health testing mm -hmm. but how has that um affected your program in the good or or the bad um yeah. so i i got into i mean when i when I was encouraged by my veterinarian to um, show and breed my dog, um, and, and she knew that he was non-breed standard, but she also pointed me to ABKC. She had some friends, and she was an AKC judge, um, had been showing dogs for 64 years, and she originally did not like my dog because she, well, the first thing she says is, is that an Isabella? And then, you know, she got to see him. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. Sorry. <laughs> she did. And then because he's he's red, you know, people they didn't know what color he was. Um, so as 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 she warmed up to him as he got older and she encouraged me to show him, um, she says, you know, you really ought to consider having him frozen for the future. And I thought, well, if I'm gonna breed this dog, I better health test him. So I did the um DNA cheek swab you know, and, and got all of that. So I knew what I was dealing with. And especially I tested for cystinaria three because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't breeding a carrier to another carrier. Cause I know that's a very serious condition. I've had friends that have had dogs that have had to have surgery or didn't actually make it or had to be um, euthanized because of cystinaria three. So, uh, but I'd had other dogs and I'd had horses. So when you have horses, they, they do an extensive health test you know, pre-purchase. So for me, it was like, of course I'm going to health exactly. test this. Exactly. I didn't know people didn't do it. I didn't know. So, you know, we, we go in and Dr. Metzler was, gosh, I don't, she was really, really old. And she was, she'd had, I think she'd had a stroke or a heart attack, but anyway, she's driving around in a little rascal in her veterinary center at the time and she comes out and she's just whipping around and she comes and she gives me this look she says these are excellent hips and i go oh cool and she says no 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 these are the best hips i've ever seen in a french bulldog ever and i thought oh okay that's cool and then she starts grinning at me and she goes hmm you know and and, and everybody started laughing because they're like she couldn't believe that this non-breed standard dog was so nice and um anyway that's when i found out i had excellent hips i went to the dog show was talking to some friends pulled out my little certificate that i just gotten back from ofa and i go yeah look we've got excellent hips aren't these great and the guy goes what and he's like no no one has those and i show him the certificate and he's looking at the dog and he's like huh you know so um it took a while and like i said i i used to post um little feelers out on social media you know like does anybody want to breed to my dog? And, you know, here's his scores. Here's this. Here's what I know about him. Here's his movement. I would put videos of him. And coming from horses, confirmation, it's a quadruped, right? Like there's certain things that are exactly the same. I mean, they have stifles. They have hawks. They have a croup. They have a loin. Like there's angles of shoulder, you know, like it all makes sense. So for me, it was like, can this dog move? And can it breathe? And these were just like no brainers to me because I'd come from other breeds of dogs. And, and of course my Frenchie is going to 
have to pass or he's, or he's not going to be bred. So that's kind of how I got into it. And um, I found uh, Shelly Harrington from Starlight Bullies and Party Pups, um, Ashley and Nicole Party. And they were um, English Bulldog breeders originally, and they just got into Frenchies. Shelly found me through the OFA post that I'd put of Benny. And she sought me out specifically to improve her dog's health. And we had amazing litters with these dogs. We've produced a lot of champions and grand champions. And from that breeding, we got the very best pen hemp score in the entire OFA database for Frenchies. So, you know, getting those initial successes, I think really helped. Had we gotten yeah. dogs that maybe didn't pass. And at the time, Shelly hadn't done the OFA on the female yet. A lot of people did not test their females. Um, right. You know, people, elite breeders, elite preservationist breeders that are the spokespeople for FBDCA don't health test their females. Shit, you not. Some or of them. DNA. Or, or they DNA. test the eyes. And that's in the Vanity Fair magazine as well. Yeah. We test the eyes. Like, wait a minute. You're the spokesperson for FBDCA and you didn't mention that you should be doing what's on your site and what's recommended, your hips, your patellas, your heart, and the OFA eyes. And you're just talking about eyes? What what, what about the rest of the dog? Oh, and you're supposed to actually test the spines. It's recommended. She didn't talk about any of that, right? So as I, as I, um, as I, said we we started seeing really good results and then as some of the puppies hit their one year mark we started health testing them as well and i was really excited because i had this great puppy everybody was excited about her i take her to the shows she immediately champions everybody loves her oh look at her she said i got a rude awakening okay uh -huh. i'm so excited <laughs> hips came back Everything else came back. It was great. Oh my gosh, look at this spine. Look at this. Like, oh, the trachea. Ooh, it's a 2.8. You know, like good stuff, right? And then the hips came. <laughs> I actually called my vet and said, um, did you send the wrong x-ray? She goes, No, 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 no. This is this is it. I said, but you said the hips look good. And she goes, Well, yeah, for Frenchie. And they came back mild dysplasia. And at 12 months, she already had osteoarthritis, which and it was a shallow hip socket. And I'm like, mm, that's not environmental. That's genetic. And um, and I spayed her, you know, and she's Absolutely. living her best life. She's great. You would never know looking at her. And that's the thing in the Frenchies. They don't, it's not like a German shepherd where they're all jiggity jack, right? Frenchies, their musculature can hold their joints in place and really help support and hide the fact that they've got dysplasia going on. And it's not until they're a little older. And again, if, if they're showing signs of osteoarthritis where there's a change in the femoral head and they're only 12 months, like that's yeah. where you've got to start thinking about maybe a plan for your dog's health long-term, you know, and you, you should probably not be breeding that dog. It's for me. I wouldn't. Right. And that that's for me also, you know, like what I do for myself isn't necessarily what I would tell someone else. I think everybody needs to make their right. own decisions, but for me, it's a hard stop. But if it's just mild dysplasia and there aren't the signs of osteoarthritis, it could be environmental. There's a lot of studies that show yes. that yeah. the, that when you take 
they did this on mice, but when you take mice and you tape their legs behind them so they're in the Superman prone position and they can't get their hips underneath them, that in 10 days, that ligament that holds the joint in place is gone, like yeah. gone. So, you know, what do we like to see on French bulldog puppies? We'd like to see them all lined up, nursing on mom, all cute, Superman prone, right? And they're kind of sliding because they're on a puppy pad and, you know, because we want everything to be clean. We don't want people to think we're dirty and nasty, right? So these dogs are slipping and they're, you know, I think that that can contribute towards an environmental dysplastic hip. So yeah. I'm, I'm very open-minded to when I see those results, what they mean to me. But on my studs, man, they better be good. Perfect. Or go, or go home. Yeah. Because you can put that gene pool to way more dogs than a female. And so that's, that's just my own personal preference. Um, but I've, I've, I've had two that came back that just broke my heart like that. And I'd already championed the dog. So now what I do is I have um, a candidate that I think might be my show dog or a potential stud or something like that. And I will x-ray them for their spine first because you get a sneak peek of the hips in that same x-ray. And my veterinarians know how to look at it and tell me if something looks janky or not, you know? And so you see it too, Heather, you've gotten good at reading x-rays. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, you know, I only play a veterinarian on the internet. (laughs) No, I don't. Um, so anyway, that's, that's how I've kind of like gone and, and, and I always want to know what's in the spine anyway, but so this is to me a really natural way to kind of look at it both ways. So you don't, put a lot of time, money, investment into right. a dog that maybe isn't going to be the right dog. And right. and I think that's what stops a lot of people is because they say, oh, this is my investment. I'm going to get my investment back. This is my income. And, uh, you know, yeah, I can see you go out and you spend an exorbitant amount of money on a dog. And I, an exorbitant, it could just be 2500 to some people and it could be sure. 15000 to others, right? It's a lot of money when it's your money. And, um you can, you can dump that money into a dog and then all the health testing and the showing and the right. this and then that. And it's, it's really heartbreaking when you get that disappointing result. Yeah. So I can understand why people want to recoup their costs, but sure. again, you know, um, for me, it's a hobby. This is my golf Well, another reason why we don't sell breeding rights indiscriminately to, to our clients is because it, for me, it's like their pets first and the, Mm -hmm. the, the breeders I do sell to have similar values. We're all aligned and say 12 months comes along and they have second thoughts about, about joining the ranks of breeder they don't want to invest in the health testing, no judgment, no pressure. They paid for a pet and they buy the breeding rights later. And that um, takes the pressure off of people to get a return on their investment in their investment and to breed a dog that shouldn't be bred, you know, um, not, I would say, gosh, what are the stats? Like we have a litter. How many of those dogs out of the high quality puppies that we produce, how many of those should be bred or are show dogs? A very 
it's very small amount. Most of them are pets and they're mm -hmm. for enjoyment. And I would hate to be that breeder to, you know, participate in the market of um, people paying these, you know, breeding rights are expensive. And they should On an eight-week-old puppy, you just can't tell. Sometimes you they turn into pterodactyls. And you can't, yeah, you can't tell where that breeder will be either. And um, it just, it, to me, it just feels better. And the people that want to breed and are ready to invest in the health testing, take their dog for a spin in the show ring, get it evaluated by other people other mm -hmm. than themselves, you know, their peers, judges. Um, those are the people that um, I want to sell rights to, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's not all about money selling an eight week old puppy. You know, it, it just doesn't feel right. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. That uh, and then and the litter mates can be amazing, but not. I mean, okay. Yeah. So here's a really good. I love to give this example to people, but Google Cindy Crawford and Cindy Crawford sisters. Yeah, you know what I'm saying because we've talked about this. Yeah. Um, so there's a People magazine photo of her, and I think she has she has three sisters. I think I think there's four of them total. Uh, there's they're all beautiful women. Every single one of them gorgeous, right? But there's only one Cindy Crawford. And yeah, it's just that one little tweak that made her a supermodel. And then her daughter, who looks just like her, inherited yeah. those genes that made her yeah. the supermodel, right? So even though you have, I don't want to call Cindy Crawford's sisters litters, okay? But you've got <laughs> same, same parents right. for totally different individuals. And that's I mean, how these got, dogs are too, you know. We got lucky with Bucky and Cooper, who are both, I mean, they're from the same litter. Um, yeah. But they're completely different dogs. But yeah. they have uh, amazing, you know, contributions to the gene pool independently. Um, yeah. You know. But they're not clones to each other, so, I've, you know. Heather, do you remember in the beginning how many dogs I cut? from my program. And Heather likes to say, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And that's one of my things that go in my head. And at, when you first start out, it's like the good breeders, they want everything to be perfect. Mm -hmm. They want excellent hips and a clear spine and they get these health scores back. And it's so scary. They're like, oh my gosh, how do I? Yeah. Everybody wants, everybody wants straight A's on that report card, right? Everybody wants straight A's. And very rarely do we get a Bucky or a Benny or, you know, it's, it's just, um, it's, it's a pat. I'm letting my dog in. Sorry. Come on, mama. I will tell you when, um, when I ordered that Cystinaria three test, because I'd already grand championed him, yeah. I'd already done his spine. I'd done everything. I didn't know about C3 actually until after all that. And I was encouraged by Sandy Cristiano oh, from Boss Kennels. And she's like, oh, and I, she uh -huh. was, I said, well, I've already done the cystinuria. It was cystinuria type one and two. That's what was on uh -huh. the bark test. So I thought I was fine. She's like, no, 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 no. It's this one. And says, so I sent it in to, gosh, it was Vet Jen at the time. And they're, they're no longer. That's business. where I did mine too, but they closed. Yeah. Right. But I got that email yeah. in and I'll tell you, I sat there and I was like, I had such anxiety. I did not oh. want to open it. I was yeah. so scared. 
I was so scared and it was clear and it was like, oh my God, thank God. But, you know, um, but I understand. I know how it feels, you know. And not everybody has the space to keep back. Sorry, I'm walking through my hallway. Um, space to keep back puppies mm -hmm. and watch and see them, watch them develop. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Um, do spine. Uh, I've started doing spines early, too. And what, what age do you do uh, it? Well, I, I would like to do it earlier, but I'm, it's so hard with like getting out to the vet and yeah. in a perfect world, I would like to start doing spines between four and six months, mm -hmm. but it seems to be working out to where, um, I'm evaluating them around like a year. Yeah. I, I, I usually do it when I do my prelims for the hips, which is one year. But sometimes I'll do it at nine months, you know. Um, I'm about to make a cut in my program right now that I haven't announced. It's clearly not this one. Um, because I'm gonna get, of I'm gonna get baby Satan. Um, and he's 15 months. I think that people roll, breeders roll out studs uh, at before they're a year old and they aren't, they, they, oh, don't let them see each other. There he is. <laughs> uh, I want, I'm starting to slow down in my health testing and yeah. not put the pressure on to get everything done at 12 months. Right. I'm, I like to wait and see how the dog develops you know at at between 12 and 15 months i'm like okay especially the boys right the girls i feel like i have a better idea um temperament is everything like you talked about heather temperament is if there is a a lick of um uh, i like a spicy dog but i don't like a mean dog right i, I like a dog that I can work with because I do, you know, we do the sports and all the training and the showing and stuff. Um, so temperament's been a big one and they kind of show us yeah. if we listen to the dog, who wants to be the dog that travels, who wants to be a mama. Um, oh my God, Pip, you are my, oh. He loves mommy and me hotel time. Oh my God. He loves, that dog, Heather. Yeah. I love him. Um, but Heather, do you remember in the beginning how many dogs I cut? <laughs> I was all. I don't remember. Well, I don't. I don't. Rem if you told me names, because I know that you who you don't have anymore. You know. Well, it, I I felt I feel in retrospect, and of course I found them all amazing pet homes. Yeah. In retrospect, I. I was too quick to cut dogs from my program and didn't let them grow out right. as much. And then you see it and you're like, oh my gosh. I've had that. But now it's like I've slowed down. I've um it's a marathon, not a race. Um you know, I I I think that by two years old, oh my lord, he is the best. By two years old with our boys, then we really know. But I got lucky with Bucky. He was working at 12 months 
um he had already he didn't have but he also matured really quickly too i think he did he did he was we knew what we had with him what six months old seven Mm -hmm. months old yeah you could tell but i think that um making those hard choices is part of what we do and it is important to the integrity of our breed integrity of our programs, the longevity of our programs. And like, I love how they tell you too. like Rano, Rano's like, he's a champion. He's got a great spine. His hips look awesome. I haven't done his hips. He's, um, I mean, you just had them looked at, not the, not the surgery. I saw, I saw them, uh, with the spine report and I was like, damn. And, uh, uh, Dr. Kessler's, uh, replacement vet she's great um she's also the vet uh who said that a dog with one or two spinal anomalies Mm -hmm. can still have ibdd symptoms so you know a clear spine but anyway his his hips look good but um you know he told me he was like yeah i'm not much of a show dog like my daddy yeah it wasn't his thing yeah it wasn't, and I don't want my dog, I want them to enjoy their job. And Brano's job is just being, he's a champion. He is, he has his place and, um, you know, we'll see where it goes. With him. So talk about how important is, uh, the show ring for you guys. Um, now for me, looking from the outside, looking in um i'm kind of uh i don't know the show world kind of i'm kind of skeptical of i get that it it really is the intentions of it is to you know show off your breeding stock and yeah and, and that's very important and i really like that the original idea behind it but you know you we we discussed the vanity fair article and and some of the, the negativities of it, but. But there's a lot of positives too. I think. No, I agree. I agree. And, and yeah, but part of my thing is, and I see the ABKC kind of does a pretty good job about making it family friendly and, and that sort of thing. Um, oh yeah. And definitely if you have the right host, these things run just as nicely as, as an AKC, a smaller AKC show. Well, yeah. And I, and I prefer that kind of atmosphere too. I, I, I'm not a stuffed shirt kind of person at all. I, I really don't like elitism in in any shape or form. Um, but, uh, that's kind of how I see it's kind of an aging sport, especially in the AKC. And then it's, and, uh, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a sport that you're born into. It's not really something that, you know, a lot of people from the outside come in. And when they do, it sounds like they get kind of uh, ostracized until they either make their way through the crowd and people let them in to the inner circle or they just quit. And um, mm-hmm. I think probably more people quit than then they stick around. But it makes me sad. Yeah. But part of, and another thing that's really difficult that you see too, especially in today's economy, is that a lot of people are going to be priced out 
of this. You know, you spend a good portion of, you know, for your puppy because you want a quality dog from a quality breeder that's going to be around to, to, to talk to you and talk you through things and, and, um, and isn't just going to ghost you after they get paid. So all those things are difficult and they're time consuming and that it comes with the price. So what are some of the things that could be changed in the dog world that could be more inclusive and, uh, a little more, um, friendly towards people and, and maybe, uh, cost effective and, and all of these sorts of things. I mean, it's, but that might sound impossible, but anyway, the first part is, is just how important has, has the show ring been for your program? Good question. Hmm. Um, well, when I had my sad colored dog and he shows up with ribbons on him and then we champion and we grand champion, uh, it definitely got a lot of attention for him. And then that, that combined with his health scores, I think it set it in motion for the dog. So clearly it was important, but I was doing it because it was fun. Like I love it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a competitive person, but I'm competitive with myself. Mm -hmm. I really, I mean, Natal, I'll tell you, like, we're always cheering just as loud for, any, you know, anybody. It's the best. I, I tell so people fun. all the time, like, some people will remember what you've won, but uh -huh. everybody remembers how you've lost. And if you're a poor loser, man, that's what they're going to remember. So if you're there yeah. at a dog show and you're trying to network and, and do this, like, the worst thing you can do is embarrass yourself with your poor sportsmanship, yeah. in my opinion. Our other dogs mm -hmm. talk about people. It's like the better the the people who do well are really inclusive. Yeah, and and uh, especially, I mean, my experience has been ABKC, mm -hmm. where I show my dogs of color. Um, I mean, for me, showing the dogs is a lot like it's like the outlet of golf. You know, I I I like it. It's my it's my therapy. It's my fun. I go there to be around people that love dogs and I've got a great network around me and, um, but I don't put, I don't base my worth or my dog's worth on ribbons. Okay. Ribbons are subjective and sometimes, you know, I pay $20 per class to have a judge give me their opinion. Sometimes they agree with them. Sometimes they don't. I almost always learn something from that judge. I get great feedback and, and I apply it and I go about my business. Right. Um, but I don't ever take something to heart where it just destroys me. And it, I, I think it's, I think it's fun. Um, and then the, the great thing is, is that when you show your dog enough, and especially as you move from champion to grand champion, and you have that many eyes and that many hands on this dog, you know what the, what the strengths are, what the weaknesses are. Like, it shouldn't be a mystery. You know, you shouldn't hear something for the first time like, oh, your dog's got weak pasterns or, oh, you've got wry mouth or whatever. And I do think that showing the dogs, you know, um, 
they're not checking the dog for veneers, right? They're checking for bite. And, and if you don't show, or you've never had somebody show you what that is and why it's important. And, you know, if you're breeding dogs without knowing what wry mouth is, like, that's a problem. And that's one of the things that you can learn and be mentored through from people that show dogs. So I think like, there's a, a huge positive aspect of finding out like about basic conformation and structure, things like that are talked about in the puppy puzzle, for example. Um, if your dog is paddling like this, that, there's probably something going on in that spine up there where there's an impingement um, or maybe the short, short, short shoulder girdle isn't allowing for clean forward movement. If your dog and Frenchies, they're not supposed to, walk like a tightrope in the back. They're not supposed to cross over. They're supposed to go chink, 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 chink with their outer legs going chink, 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 chink. So um, it's called double tracking. Like those are things that you can learn through experience by being mentored by people that show their dogs. And if they're the right people, they're going to mentor you and do it in a positive way without bashing you, you know, but you're talking about human beings and human nature isn't always kind. So um, I think competing and also handling your own dog is a great way to s save money showing obviously, um, because it, you don't have to pay a handler. Handlers run about 35 to $50 per class. Some are more depending on the type of show you go. And I'll, I'll tell you this, it's exactly the same amount of money to enter an AKC event as it is to enter an ABKC event. The hotels cost the same, the gas costs the same, my dinners cost the same. So I think I saw an estimate in Forbes magazine talking about people that run their dogs through Westminster and in the Frenchies, I think it's about a hundred thousand a year or more to campaign a dog for top dog. And I think it's about the same if you're campaigning a dog for any of these other registries. And, and it's just for those reasons, it costs the same to enter for, to pay handlers, your travel expenses, all that. It's all the same. So, um, obviously if you handle your own dog, you can save yourself quite a bit of money, especially if you're showing more than one dog in an event. Um, sometimes I'll run as many as 12 dogs in an event. So, um, in my heart, races like crazy the first event i'm like not scared i'm just a little nervous you know got the little butterflies so i'm kind of a hot mess the first show but afterward then i'm fine and by the end of the thing i'm completely exhausted and burn a lot of calories and it's all good so um i don't know i think i think that the reason fbdca has really done this breed a disservice is when they put their foot down on the no fad color campaign and they, they don't allow dogs of color to be shown, but they took it a step further than that. And it's, if you're associated with a non-breed standard color, you are not allowed to talk to anybody else that's in the FBDCA. They will absolutely, if, if you look up their code of ethics, you, that person in FBDCA will get kicked out and, and, held basically on a trial in front of the club, like for having anything to do with the person that's breeding a dog of color. And it could even be your family member. If your family member is doing that, then they'll kick you out for that too. So when you do that now, who's supposed to be mentoring 
the people breeding these dogs because 99% of all French bulldog registries, um, the litters are bred by non-breed standard breeders. FBDCA members only breed 1% of all litters each year. So that means 99% of this breed is rogue and unmentored and doesn't have anybody helping them out with what is confirmation, what is movement, what is wry mouth. You know, it's to me, that's the disservice to the breed. They made it about people instead of the dogs, but they use this color thing as justification for why somebody can't benefit from the education and you know and they'll say oh well, we're here to educate you but that really means like we're here to reform you you know we're here to shame you we're here you do it our way <laughs> and it's like like i said like abkc's standard for french bulldogs is identical to the akc standard for french bulldogs except for the color and except for the weight which the fci weight is used for abkc so they allow up to 30 pounds instead of 28 pounds and, AB, and the AKC used to do up to 32 pounds, by the way. I just found that breed standard. Oh, I didn't know that. I know. Most people don't. Sorry. Too, like, dogs don't, don't, well, pit my type, but dogs don't care about ribbons. Dogs don't, don't look at social media. You know, all of this is for the humans, really. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I just try and keep my ego in check and just have yeah. fun. And I made myself a promise when I did this that I was never going to get butt hurt. Didn't I tell you that when I, she knows. Yeah. And, and there've been times where, you know, everybody loves to win. Winning's fun. Right. But I'm laughing. Like, somehow you have to, I know what you're thinking about, you, you know, like sometimes you have to just push yourself through when you're not necessarily having the best of times. It's physical and too. It's a sport. It it's so raining. Like yeah. when we have bad days and our dogs don't listen to us. And it's like, for me, I feel like it, it's helped me dig really deep into, um, sorry, I'm having technical difficulties. Uh, help me dig into my character as a human and um, get out of the, get out of my own way and um, really remember who I am. And I mean, the development, I think as like a human, since I've been competing in dog sports, like I've grown so much, like I can dig so deep now, you guys, like Heather's seen it where I'm Mm -hmm. like, I am exhausted. I am a single parent. I'm doing this all by myself. I get like la it, it all. There's one more show, one more judge. There's one and more then, judge that's gonna like and, your dog. Yeah, and you can do it at all, and get out there and all the training you've done, and and, and we you don't do win. this with your son too. And Her I do son with my son. Junior Handler. Yeah, he's he's amazing. So he's, fun. Yeah, he's gonna. He's you know it. He's the same. He's a ten year old boy. Like he he has his ups and downs. But when he goes out there and he wins. And he connects with the dog. I feel like it's, I don't think I could have a breeding program and not show my dogs. Because I feel like it really gives me that that edge and that um, the knowledge and the community, you know, all of us together um, that I wouldn't have. And I wouldn't be able to evaluate dogs like I do without running yeah, that experience. 
my my people um it takes a village and i feel like i found a family in abkc you know i'm still a a relative newbie it was my first nationals this year and (laughs) damn if i didn't get out there heather good (laughs) you know i got out there and i hustled and i brought my my production and you guys it just there's nothing like it like i just i'm I, and I love mentoring people to try to help give them a little bit of like what Heather gave me, like, Hey, come on out. Like, you'll be fine. And like, Sean, like, come on out. Like, <laughs> you never know. Like you'll meet people, you'll have an experience. And, yeah. uh, it's, it's, and it's, it's important. I think too, if you're going to breed to be able to talk to what a, a French bulldog looks like, you know, um, Mm-hmm. Be able to stack a dog, be able to know what a proper angulation is in the rears and, and in the front. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, uh, I feel more confident. Also, you cannot Photoshop your performance in the ring, right? Yeah. So when I see people that are just doing breeding strictly from social media and no. a picture I mean, I've had people that show me things on on editing software that I didn't even know. Like, first of all, what you can do to a face on a human where uh-huh. you can make me look really, really good yeah. or look like me. And that's what you can do with these dogs, too. And so I, when I see a photo or even a video, the videos can be edited pretty slickly, too. Yes, they um, can. AI, too. I'm always a firm believer in uh, trust but verify, right? And then mm-hmm. when I see the dogs in person and I see them next to another dog, too, it really puts things into perspective. And mm-hmm. these are all breeder tools, right? And that's yes. what the showing was meant to be. It wasn't meant to be about bragging. I mean, bragging rights come along with it. It's a side effect, but it was always meant to be so that you could, as a breeder, use this as a tool to evaluate and compare and also to connect with and, mm-hmm. and, um, and network with others, you know? And yeah. so when you're not, when you're not doing that, you're kind of missing a huge piece of what historically has been part of, breeding dogs, you know, and yes. we do it all very differently now. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, the scams yeah. are out there, right? Like if you're scamming people and you're in, in a registry, you're going to get outed pretty fast. Right. So, yeah, I mean, there's like word of mouth and referrals that happen from the relationships you meet from, from yeah. showing. I'm excited about a uh, fast cat this year. I'm going to, yeah. I'm starting a new, um, uh, I was training with a bunch, like I told you, Sean, I was training with uh, PSA sport dogs last year with, we were the only Frenchies in the group and they were a bunch of amazing breeders and um, police officers, uh, a lot of very established breed, uh, uh, trainers. And, and then it was my Frenchies of Glen Ellen and um I learned so much from these people. It was incredible. And I realized that, you know, within the dog show, what I get out of dog showing, I could also apply that to other AKC sports and to be able to showcase, you know, what my dogs can do. So we start in March at a a new uh, kettle club in the area. Um, Yes. 
He had the best time ever. He's yeah. the best. That's Bucky's Bucky's litter mate, and he's yeah. my other favorite dog on the planet. I'm gonna that find Pip has a <laughs> Pip has an ugly fast cat face. I love his ugly fast cat face. It's just the ugliest ever. Um, but speaking he, of like, he runs 16 and a half miles. I'm hour. obsessed with that photo. Oh, like wow, look at that. That's awesome. Yeah, wait, <laughs> there's one that's worse. He, I feel he, like it's less expensive, too, for me to, like, scratch that dog itch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like the yeah. dog show. Like, yeah. I, I budget a certain amount of money to fly out and do all this per year. But I can do mm -hmm. the fast cat. There's one more. That's joy right there. Are you gonna frame uh, those like up yeah. on your wall, like in um, a? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, you know, I make the big standees. I I do well, my work. So this dog, he he oh championed out or titled, I should say. He titled, and he was six and a half years old. See, wow. that's what I'm talking about. Like being able to showcase what help testing can do, and and. and to do it locally so we can go out to these fast cat yeah. trials. I can go out there scratch my competitive itch. I'm I've been I haven't been to a show for two months and I'm like this. I'm like dur, dur, dur. like I love it. I want to work, I want to train. And so yeah. to me I had way more fun at the fast cat events. Oh I'm gonna love and it. Because you're with all the different breeds too and you see I'm all these beautiful it. AKC show dogs. Yes. And their people are they're there. They are not rude. They're inclusive. That's it's fun. They help you. I had, I you loved hooked, it. Hooked. Highly recommend. And yeah. if you go on the AKC site and you type in Fast Cat, then yeah. they you can look up events near you. And your dog just needs an AKC registration. Mm -hmm. It needs to be over twelve months, and it needs to be physically able to run. Oh, you know? we're gonna we're gonna dominate Fast Cat this year. This year, I've already got. I'm like. Listen, I'm not competitive at all, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> also, too, if you breed a dog and it gets its fast cat title, it counts towards your breeder of merit. I remember so you saying that. And you know breeder of merit does that. not necessarily have to be confirmation only. Okay. And then, oh, you know what, Sean? There's also another thing that we do, which is the AKC Breeder with Heart, H-E-A-R-T. And that's the health testing version of breeder of merit. And it's, I think it's still free. So you can look that up, AKC Breeder of Heart. And basically you are um, giving an attestation that you are doing full OFA breed recommended health tests, which is chick. So um, hips, patellas, heart, and the eyes, not, not the DNA eye test, but the actual ophthalmologist. Yeah. Um, and that you're doing that on both parents of your dogs. So it's, it's a great thing. Um, we highly recommend it. And they have this really cool AKC breeder uh, education college where they've got this online, um, these online courses where you can take, gosh, they're great. It teaches they're you free. about they're free. angles and confirmation and yeah. movement and tracking and gait. And it's not it. Frenchies, it's like all breeds and it just yeah. starts to click. Right. Yeah. And so highly recommend those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's crazy. She's she's got these short little legs. It's yeah. Benny's granddaughter, yeah. Bucky's daughter. And she can from four legs, you guys, jump up in the air and flip and land it. I taught oh, her that on a 
on a queen size bed out in my backyard. I laid it down for the Frenchies and I take a flirt, a flirt pole and I taught her to go boing, flip around and down. Oh, that's awesome. So you know that makes you sound crazy, right? I am batshit crazy that much. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. And I don't have extra time on my hands to do this. This is, this is, time is something I don't have. It's mm. joy. It's so amazing. So much fun. Well, Benny can vertical leap onto the counters. Is that where Bubbles gets it? Is that where Bubbles gets it? Mm -hmm. back, back, backflip Benny. <laughs> That's funny. Well, you know, when a dog's, when a dog's got good angulation and their hips are um, properly working, yep. it's amazing what they can do. It's amazing you know? what they can do. They can hike and jump on your, uh, my, my Frenchies, Benny's granddaughters. My, I've got three of them at my house. They all think because they're show dogs and they're trained to get onto tables. Yeah. They think that they're allowed up on my dinner table. And yeah. I turn around and they're standing there like, hi, look how great I am. And I'm like, girls, mm -hmm. get down. No, none of that. It's mm -hmm. very funny. They're like little humans. They're like little human aliens. <laughs> <laughs> they're fun. I know. So talk about the, you know, French Bulldogs, just the explosion of the population in the last 10 years. Um, I think what they are, the most popular breed or the second most popular breed now? Number one? Yeah. It's because people were breeding their labs to poodles. <laughs> Lab was knocked out as number one. And the yeah. Frenchies, of course, have increased. Yeah. 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 So now that they're popular and we know what comes with that, unfortunately, but, and then just the market, just how tough it is now to not only f find good, healthy dogs, but to, for breeders to, to place quality pet homes and, and, and fulfill the needs of their kenneled and, and get what they're worth and all of that um this economy has really kind of thrown a lot of breeders through the loop and i've seen a lot of long time breeders talk about maybe really shutting their doors down or taking some years off and and waiting to see what happens with the economy and the and then the dog market in particular and um yeah. What are your guys' predictions of French Bulldogs and with all of those things that I talked about in, for the future? Is it is the future bright? Do you think there's going to be a lull and then it comes back? Just whatever your thoughts are. Heather, I asked this to Heather. Heather and I, this is, this is a topic of conversation. Um, so if you're not breeding for yourself first, if you're breeding because you're trying to game it yeah. and you think, oh, if I'm going to breed this because this is what will sell, this is what people will want. If you're chasing the next, the next, the next. And to me, first means worst. So, um, you know, the first of this color, the first of that, whatever pink, double backflip, freckle faced, crested hairless Donald Trump pullover. <laughs> like, excuse me. 
but <laughs> that's awesome. Did I just say that? Or, um, no, I mean, if you're if you're chasing to be first, at some point you're not. You know, first is over, right? So then comes next and next and next. And if in and if you're if you're breeding, trying to stay ahead of the curve, you're probably doing it at the expense of the dogs, mm -hmm. which I, it's a whole nother story. But um, I think that it should be your hobby first and people that are doing this as a business, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with making money doing what you love. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with making a little money doing your hobby. Like my goal is to break even and, and I'm ecstatic when that happens. And yeah. I can actually probably make a lot of money, except for I put it back into the dogs. Yeah. And then I also have this really expensive hobby called showing. So, um, you know, there it goes. Bye-bye. Later. Uh, Later profit. Again, my husband's right there. <laughs> See, I don't have one of those. So, so uh, you know, he would prefer if I didn't lose as much money as I do. So, you know, but... But so again, like it just depends on your goals. I think that the people that were using their economic stimulus packages and they were using their um, unemployment money to buy the COVID dogs, which were outrageously expensive, yeah. right? They're like, oh, I could breed. I could take this $10,000 dog and this $10,000 dog. Yeah. Oh, DNA color panels. And like, you know, they haven't looked at, at Mendel's or like a Punnett square. They haven't seen that. They, they failed it in biology class when they were in 10th grade anyway, but now they're suddenly experts in color DNA. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to dude, that, that oh. color is so dope, man. You know, like so sad. If that's what you're doing. Um, I think you're going to be disappointed because like, and I tell people this all the time <clears throat> when, when the fluffies were coming out and people were really getting into that. And I actually had a fluffy carrier, that I got by accident and it was actually a Merle too. Um, and I chose not to go this path because I just couldn't deal with the types of people that were coming yeah. to me wanting a piece of that. I just didn't feel good about like garage right. breeding and dogs that are stacked on top of each other and, and then tossed away. Like I just couldn't do it. But um, anyway, it, if, if the people that were like, if you had gone to a bank and you said, Hey bank, I would like to borrow $60,000 to breed French bulldogs. Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, they're really, really hard to whelp. They'll, they might die. They're going to get, no, they probably will. <laughs> it's like, if you uh, are, I mean, if you think you're going to breed them just like a Labrador, they're probably going to yeah. not. I'll make it. I'm being kind. Um, yes, you are. <laughs> very restrained. But anyway, yes, you if are. you if you asked for a loan to invest in this business model, the banks would say, yeah, no, right? Yeah. Bad idea. But people right. did it and they were taking out, you know, um, equity lines on their houses yeah. or putting on their credit cards. And like they they get yeah. these dogs and like, dude, bro, it's going to work. And it doesn't. So, you know, you get a stud fee and you pay $30,000 for some fluffy carrier or something. And it comes in from the UK and the semen's dead. And maybe they were overbreeding the dog and they decided they were just going to put some milk in there to make it look cloudy. 
<laughs> just all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I've heard. That happens. Uh, it does happen. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, then, oh, by the way, there's no, there's no guarantee. You don't get a free rebreed. Oh, and they ghost you and all this stuff. And like people's people lost money on it. Right. This, these were, they were really bad decision pants that they were putting on. I said it. Bad idea. So I, I don't necessarily have a lot of empathy for the people that say that they're going to be getting out of it. And then like Sean, what you said about that, there are breeders that have been doing this a long time and they're now taking a break or getting out because the market is just flooded and it's flooded with absolute Say it. Say it. Flooded with crap. We've tried to buy dogs and bring them into our kennels in from other breeders outside of our network. How has that gone? (laughs) For me, at least. Uh, You know, the biggest disappointments have been the dogs that were coming from standard show lines. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was really, I was really disappointed in. Um, yes, you were. Yeah. yeah. I've heard other people say that as well, um, but I don't really go outside of my. No. You know the dogs that I'm working with, the people who are doing their due diligence and they're doing the health testing, and they're also showing, and so there's a a little normalcy that kind of comes in there and a predictability, you know. But I'm also not going into these. I don't chase the fads. No. You know, and it, it, and, and this is no, you know, I like a, a cute fluffy sometimes and I like a Merle sometimes, but you like mine. <laughs> I like yours. Yeah. <laughs> I saw it at a show. I was there behind it going, look at that dog's hind end. Wow. You know, um, but, you know, it, I tell people all the time, like, I like my Frenchies to look like, <laughs> I like my I like my Frenchies to look like Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. I want them to be sleek. I want to be able to see their muscles and their veins. Yeah. I want them to be shiny. Like if you were to put a toupee on The Rock, bleh, you know, I don't want fluffy Rock. <laughs> I want I want my Dwayne Johnson. Right. If I wanted if I wanted man pelt on my Frenchie. Hey, Auntie Heather. Hi. He used to have a lot more hair. Um, but, you know, like if, if I wanted a fluffy dog, I might as well just get Austin Powers on a Frenchie, you know, like, or I don't know. Anyway, but that's just my own preference, right? So some people have really, really nice fluffies and some people have really, really nice merles. They're just not what I typically like for myself. So, right. Um, what I'm breeding and the kind of the path that we're doing, you know, I like the naturally occurring original French bulldog colors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like standard colored dogs just as much as I like non-breed standard colored dogs. To we me, like, we like bone and bo- we like bone and booty and big heads and expression and, and they have to move and they have to be able to breathe. And like if, if you have to yeah. do surgery on your dog to have um, them be able to stay alive, to breathe, like you shouldn't be breeding that dog, right? It should be just, that should be a, a stop, a hard stop right there. I, you know? That's why trachea um, evals are to me a, such an important component to 
um, and NAIR. Yeah, we do them even though they're not recommended. I mean, they're recommended, yeah. but they're not required. I want to know, breathing isn't just the NAIRs. It's not, you know. Um, how well, there's seven, seven different places in the Frenchie school where it can go wrong. Yeah. Isn't so, it just. So trachea, larynx, nasopharynx. Um, let's see, your inner and outer NAIR. Um, there's something else in the sinus that I don't know. There was palate. seven of them. Is um, the palate part of the yes, no. soft palate. Yeah, the soft palate. Uh huh. Yeah, and you can only do surgery on two of those areas. So, yeah, there's still five different ways it can all go wrong. And snout length doesn't necessarily dictate the no. breathing the ability to breathe no. of a dog near the tightness of the air. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Jane Ladlow, Cambridge. She has great information. RFG Boas. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. You got some good stuff on breathing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, when I, when I breed, I'm always breeding for myself first and my program. And I'd like to think we're in a, um, I don't, I don't want to say a bubble, but like we are a specialty and I want the specialty group to get bigger, to include yeah. all breeders. And that is uh, a healthy French bulldog. I mean, it's not a, a, a guarantee that your dogs. It's oh, there's no guarantees. Mother nature's cruel. Mother. <laughs> We, yeah. we, you know, I offered like a year long health guarantee to for oh, yeah. my dogs to be free of genetic illness, but SHIT happens too. And, but I will always be there for my, my yeah. puppy buyers to help navigate things, but we can do whatever we can do our due diligence to rule out anything like that. At least, can, you, at least you, you, you teed it. You teed it up for success, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hope that I hope that the people getting out are doing it for the right reasons. I, yeah. you know, I wish them well. I know it must be an incredibly difficult um, decision to make, and especially having to financially sell off your dogs or rehome them. I my heart goes out to those people um my heart does not go out to the people breeding purely for profit no. and for hype and for ego and i do not wish them well i'm i i hear the stories from people good people who have spent exorbitant amounts of monies on dogs and then have them you know basically break down after a year or uh or the breeders ghost i mean all the horror stories so Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's the, the tide is turning. We have to protect this breed, you know, and mm -hmm. we can only do that by um, helping the breeders succeed too. Uh, right. And, and by, by supporting the breeders, we can help, help the dogs, you know, get the education mm -hmm. out there. I also think that, the fallout from the overbreeding in the French bulldog is probably going to take another year to two years to stabilize. That's um, I think it's really important to 
recommend and get a good relationship with your local rescues. And so that when people come and ask you for puppies, you can also offer um, a reputable rescue because they're not all the same, right? It's just like charities. There's good and bad charities as well. But I would definitely say get in touch with your rescues and work with them and help and support them and try not to look at it too much or you'll go broke. You know, I watched way too much Disney and old Yeller and Bambi as a kid. And if I look at their pages, I, I, it just, it, it, yeah. Yeah. So, but also I think that, and, and we didn't really talk about this, but if you really want to talk about the true greeters of the French bulldog explosion, um, to me, uh, the corporate veterinarians that have purchased up all the mom and pop veterinarians and that they're running these rather large um, clinics, they have raised their prices on veterinary care so much since COVID. I mean, it's gone up so high. And so when you're talking about breeding costs and, you know, for what, what it is, it is what it is, right? The majority of French bulldogs and English bulldogs, of course, are born C-section. So when the price of the C-sections has gone up so high, what a lot of um, unscrupulous breeders, so sad, you know, you hear about it all the time. They're, they're doing C-sections on kitchen tables. I I can't, I know. I can't. Yeah, well, I can't. So, um, I think that as long as the costs of breeding, just for the veterinarian side of it, yeah, stay high, you're going to see either people going black market, you know, do do it yourself mm-hmm. veterinary care, which is not good for the breed, um, but also. I think that that's also what's driving a lot of people that were able to do this ethically um, and traditionally in the past, no matter whether it's preservation breeders or, or fad color, you know, sure. that costs are the same. Uh, I think that that's going to be an important factor for how the breed goes forward, you know, and I know that there are a lot of veterinarian clinics that have their heart in the right places and a lot of veterinarians and they'll say things like, you know, you walk in with an intact male or female and they're like, you need to nurture, you need to spay. Oh, you know, like they're, they're very jaded because they see a lot of terrible dogs coming through and being bred. Right. Um, So I, I think that um, I think that the, the people that are actually making the, and that will continue to make the most profit, from the French bulldog breed or the actual, the veterinarian point, Heather, as far as like, there are good vets out there and who do support good breeding practices. And they understand the importance of, of good breeders in society. You know, we're not all, we're not all bad. Extremely good relationships with my veterinarians as well. And I just moved, you know, to Tennessee. So, I've been finding new ones and they're all just like, you know, I asked to do OFA and they're like, why? You know, like they've never seen a French bulldog yeah. come in. I'm like, well, get, get ready. Cause I've got a lot that comes through here. We're doing this. Hope you've got, hope you've got good x-ray skills. Cause good positioning. What we're doing, you know? 
And I mean, with I would say each each uh, dog that goes through the screening for health testing to be part of a breeding program for me is probably about fifteen hundred dollars per dog. Mm-hmm. You know, so the ones that don't make the cut, you could say, oh, you just lost that money. But in the scheme of things, I just look at it as a general pool, and it's like this is my annual cost. Some of them have been magnificent. Others, maybe not, but it's part of the whole, it's just what I signed up for, you know? I, I, I think of it as what, what, what would it cost a breeder to be producing puppies that go out to good families to have those families come back to you with terrible problems down the road? What's the cost of that? personally, professionally, um, can you sleep at night? The cost to me of health screening my dog is a drop in the bucket. If I'm going to do this, you know, I'm going to do it in, in that, looking at it in that, the scope of it. Oh, here's another thing that I like to say. <clears throat> so when you have a preservation breeder and they'll do this little thing that's kind of like a cut and paste off of the FBDCA site for no fad colors and they'll say, no ethical breeder would ever breed against the standard. And they're not talking about the standard confirmation or the ears. They're talking about color, right? And what I say is, what ethical breeder would not help test? And that's where it gets silent, you know? No ethical breeder would not. So don't tell me what ethical breeders would do or not do when it comes to color. Let's talk about health. And I think that's the conversation that um, I think the breed and its future depends on that. Uh, Ethics that you should have when you, when you are breeding what I call these dogs, boutique breeds, you know, they're, they're, they become boutique breeds. They're, they're not your everyday person breed anymore if they ever were, but, um, do you know how much these dogs were imported in the very beginning? You want to hear the number? What's that? Okay. So a lot of them were, were brought in and they were, you can find them in the AKC show catalogs, but there's one in 1901 and uh, George Hopton uh, or sorry, Charles Hopton, who was um, one of the major, he's called the, the godfather of bulldogs back in the day. So he had a French bulldog named Rodney Cardinal. And uh, $10,000 in the show catalog. That's 10000 in 1901. What does that equate to now? That's like... Four hmm. of a million probably. Yeah. yeah like that. Right? Yeah. Um, oh, wait. No, you know what? I do know what that is. It's 361000 that's, that's why we keep Heather around. So she can... Right. Do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, sorry. Yeah. Um, and actually you could buy a brand new mansion in New York city, build it yourself for 8,000. So these dogs were more than people's mansions. And I think the cars were going for 1500, but a lot of these dogs are being sold for 2,500, 5,000. Yeah. And their, their list price are right there in the catalogs. So you can get it online. It's a case. It's public. You know, just like just like the colors, the registered colors were there the whole time. I can't believe 
you know, why? <laughs> so they used to say, oh, these colors have never been there. They're all outcrosses. And I was like, why didn't anybody ever look it up? Because it's right there. And I've been accused of actually Photoshopping 8,000 registrations with all these weird type fonts and missing pixels and stuff, right? Like, so, I guess I had time to, <laughs> to find 8,000 of these things and Photoshop all of them to, to create non-breed standard colors. And it's like, or, or you could, I don't know, either go to the Library of Congress and look it up yourself, lazy ass, because I gave you the link. Yeah, or you could actually maybe go to the library and get the hard copy book and open it up to page 362 and look at that dog and it says gray brindle yeah. right there or it says iron gray just not even brindle iron gray like the it's there. yeah, yeah. They named so why it. didn't anybody else look that up all these years right because they were bullied this is scary like these well people, they were told they yeah. were told the, the narrative they've been told by the parent club is these are outcrosses these are mutts these are and no they're not absolutely and you can you can make a high quality dog of any color you really can doesn't take long and you can control the colors that you want to express if you do the dna testing on them and i will tell you this people that there's two kinds of dna color breeders there's the greeter and then there's also the preservationist each one of them is equally testing to ensure that they're either the color they want or the color that they don't want. You know, like they're, they're doing the same thing. And when you do that, you're overlooking things like, is this dog, does this dog's patellas, are they, you know, <laughs> I don't care what your ribbons say. You I know? have to give another, that, that right there, that is crystal clear to me. Like you, yeah. that you're just as, as a as a color breeder yeah. if you're absolutely yeah. avoiding colors instead of looking at the overall dog and and the health and the complete contribution to a wider gene pool, which yeah. is like yeah. Darwin theory, like yeah. hello the dodo, you know, <laughs> like you don't want you don't want to breed yourself into a box where now you can't get out of it. And I, and I think that a lot of these elite show dogs from what I've seen and the health testing that's not there, and there's little clues in there. Like when you see a dog, and this isn't to shame people for health testing. I just want to be clear for that. But this is actually Dr. Jared Bell was talking about this in his presentation to the FBDCA in, in 2022. And what he said is when you see a dog and it's got this health test and this health test, and you look at the dates of when it's done and the dog was eligible to have the hips on display, like say at 24 months, if it's normal, OFA will post those scores of fair, good, or excellent, and it'll be on display. If it's not normal and you didn't sign a disclosure for it to be posted, it will be blank. So when you start seeing that dogs have all these other things, but the hips aren't there, and then, you know, they're like, but look at all my ribbons and, oh, it's, you know, it's a champion or, you know, like when you start seeing generationally in all these pedigrees, a similar pattern where these dogs are not passing their health scores, like, what are you doing? You know, you're not fooling anybody. And, um, and that's where I think that the gene pool could be strengthened if, Breeders would just stop looking at these 
you know, naturally occurring original colors and look at the overall dog and say like, will this benefit the breed? Will this improve this? You know, and I mean, I beat a lot of AKC. I beat an AKC bronze um, champion when, <laughs> this is pretty funny. So when COVID was going on, AKC wasn't doing their shows. So a lot of AKC people that just love to show, you know, just like to get out there, they came to the ABKC and I was in the ring with them and I beat them and they were not happy about that. <laughs> they didn't know. They didn't know that the, they didn't read, they didn't read the standard about the colors. I beat AKC bronze level grand champions. So yes, it can. Yeah. This is Pip. What are you thinking now? He's, what is he thinking? Well, he's like, he's like, uh, you know, on Family Guy, ba Baby Stewie. He's in his jammies, looks all cute, but he's chain smoking. Calls his mom Lois. And he's <laughs> world domination. Yeah. International. He's being nice here, but <laughs> Sean, if you ever see me in a show, you'll understand. Yeah, he's he's a terrorizer, huh? Oh, he is. He always wins. He's Fight Club. Wait, can I flip this around so you can see the babies? They're doing they're doing Fight Club right now. I don't even know how to. Here, I'll just grab one. Come here. Come here, you little nubby. Oh, my goodness gracious. Who's that? <laughs> Look at that. So cute. Is this the boy? Look at him. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Hello. I love it. I look at the heads. I always look at the heads first. I know that's yeah. it's more to the breed, but. Well, it's is that the head breed is what they yeah. say. And unfortunately, they forget the whole rest of the dog that needs yeah. to be there, too, you know, but. Yeah. You want to say hi, Matt? There's my junior <laughs> handler. He's so little. <laughs> All whopping 20 pounds of him. This guy's going to be tight. Okay. Heather, look how small he is. Oh my you gosh. I love that. Look at him. <gasps> His brindle is wow. so pretty. Look at the hind end. He, he did hey, not skip he's... leg day. Awesome. Look at the little booty. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> he's got a perfect tail. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love this little boy. Heather, I want to keep them all. <laughs> You're a hoarder. Am I? Have I reached hoard, hoarding mm. hoarding status? I had to reform. Yeah. I like to get rid of them when they're older. I like it when they're like four months old. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Benny got into a highlighter. They all, I have an all white dog and he got into a green highlighter and it exploded. And they, there's highlighter on all the dogs now. Oh no. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah, you can't see. It's on his head. Uh, can't see it. Hi, Benny. Hi, Benny. I love you. 